1: CyberBit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Unattributed cyber attacks in an Iranian port prompt speculation that a broader cyber war in the Middle East may be in the offing. CISA releases malware analysis reports on North Korea's hidden Cobra. Astaroth malware grows more evasive, and it was already pretty good at hiding. Texas courts sustain a ransomware attack. COVID 19 espionage warnings are on the way. Twitter's misinformation warning system. Ben Yellen describes a Fourth Amendment case on automated license plate reader databases. Our guest is Brian Dye from Corelight on dealing with encrypted traffic without compromising privacy. And taking down Plandemic's trailer. From the CyberWire studios at Datatribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, May 12, 2020. Iranian officials acknowledge that Shahid Rajoy, the port of Bandar Abbas, sustained a minor cyberattack last week. They characterize it as a failure, ZDNet reports with only a few computers affected and operations of the port undisrupted. The authorities offered no specific attribution beyond saying that the attack had a foreign origin. Whether that foreign actor was a state, a hacktivist group, or a criminal gang wasn't specified. The Jerusalem Post wonders if the Shahid Rajoy attack and the cyberattack on Israeli water systems, which the newspaper says caught the Israeli cabinet by surprise, are harbingers of a wider cyber war in the Middle East. CyberScoop reports that the U.S. FBI and Department of Homeland Security this morning released malware analysis reports on tools used by North Korea's Hidden Cobra Threat Group. The Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency summarizes the three reports in an announcement posted to its site. Cisco Talos says that the Astaroth malware, which ZDNet notes has also been tracked by IBM, Cyber Reason, and Microsoft, has improved its obfuscation and evasion capabilities, particularly with respect to its use of YouTube channel descriptions to carry encoded and encrypted command-and-control communications. So far, Astaroth, spread principally through phishing campaigns, has been largely confined to Brazil, but that could change quickly. The Office of Court Administration, which provides IT services for Texas courts, has been hit by ransomware, according to The Hill. Their websites were taken offline after the attack, but courts are continuing business by other means. They're distributing documents by Dropbox, for example. Which strain of ransomware is involved hasn't been disclosed yet, but the courts say they're not paying the gangs, no matter what. The Washington Post followed up yesterday's report in the New York Times and elsewhere, that the U.S. FBI and Department of Homeland Security were preparing a warning about Chinese espionage directed against COVID-19 vaccine and treatment research, with news that such warnings will probably be out within a week or so, and not within the few days originally expected. The Post notes that the warning is expected to focus on non-traditional actors, that is, students and researchers already in place at U.S. research institutions who are or will be activated to collect information on vaccines and treatments. China's foreign ministry has preemptively denounced the warning. Zhao Lijian, the spokesman for the Chinese foreign ministry, said, quote, We firmly oppose and fight all kinds of cyber attacks conducted by hackers. We are leading the world in COVID-19 treatment and vaccine research. It is immoral to target China with rumors and slanders in the absence of any evidence. End Given the threat the virus poses, it's unsurprising that intelligence services have actively collected information about its origins, effects, epidemiology, and treatment. Russia, Iran, and China are believed to have been particularly active in this regard, as has Vietnam, which FireEye says began collecting as early as January. Vietnam's interest has been focused largely on its Chinese neighbor. There's a bit of natural tension at play between the desire to encrypt data for privacy and security and the need to see into that data to ensure that bad guys or gals aren't taking advantage of that very use of encryption to help hide what they are up to. Brian Dye is chief product officer at Corelight, and he offers these insights.
0: We're definitely seeing a lot of encryption, which is good, right? It gives a lot of security benefits, get a lot of privacy benefits, most organizations that that we see are in the 60 to 70% kind of encrypted traffic. And we find it's pretty interesting to think not just about the broad brush of how much is encrypted, but about which flows are actually encrypted, because you've got a bunch of outbound content, right, that in particular is going to have a lot of personal traffic that has an expectation of privacy, a bunch of inbound flows that you can choose to decrypt or not, and then kind of internal or east-west flows where you have the choice to engineer invisibility. So, you know, there's the broad stat, and then there's the those three different kind of types of traffic that folks are really thinking about in many ways differently.
1: How do you recommend folks approach those individual flows? Or are there best practices here?
0: Best practices is a function of which geography you're in and kind of what compliance mm. scheme you operate on. But I would definitely say there's some design patterns, right? uh outbound flows where folks have the expectation of privacy those are generally not being decrypted uh, for all sorts of reasons especially if you're kind of in the in the eu in general in in areas where folks have the desire or or the the mandate to actually encrypt inbound uh, especially stuff aimed at their business systems we're still seeing some of that and then internal i think is becoming more and more encrypted especially as folks think about zero trust
1: Do you find that there are any common misperceptions that people have when when it comes to using encryption?
0: Uh, I think the most common one is the belief that encryption kind of puts this veil of blindness uh, into the network. And as we've kind of talked about, uh, that's really not the case, right? And, you know, if if you take a simple example like, like J3 hashes, right? When folks first had encryption, we said, oh, wait, that's removing all this signal. So then, you know, folks like the the Salesforce team came up with approaches like J3 where you generate new signal in these encrypted environments. And then the, the cat and mouse game is continuing, right? So we've seen some actions of attackers, for example, trying to hide from J3 signatures by using pre-shared keys. Well, the trick is if you can actually find when pre-shared keys are, are being used, so essentially a SSL instant encryption, right? Uh, encryption communications that are happening without an SSL handshake, now you've found the pre-shared keys, so now you've gone through the whole cycle of you have an insight mechanism, you have an evasion technique, and you have a countermeasure. So that's kind of the oldest cat and mouse game in security, if you will, and it's absolutely continuing uh, in the encryption world.
1: Hmm. And I suppose no, no sign of it just slowing down.
0: No, we we don't we don't see that slowing down. It, it's kind of the the fun yet terrifying kind of evergreen part of our uh, of our world. And a lot of what we're trying to think about is how do we help uh, enable and connect different folks in the open source community that are doing some pretty thought-leading stuff here, right? Because we definitely find that, you know, just like in the J3 example, when you've got a couple of high-end defenders that are all seeing the same problem, just connecting the dots across them so they can work on it together, that has a lot of value before you talk about anything technical, right? Just helping us all build bridges so we can work together, that's the right starting point.
1: That's Brian Dye from Corelight. Twitter has offered more information on its plan to label COVID-19 misinformation as such, Reuters reports. The labels will say, quote, Some or all of the content shared in this tweet conflicts with guidance from public health experts regarding COVID-19, end quote. A learn more link will take users to some of that relevant expert guidance. In cases where Twitter judges the misinformation to be particularly risky, the social medium will display the warning before the user views the content confirmed misinformation will be labeled as will certain disputed claims it appears the false or disputed material will remain available albeit flagged and linked to contrary views and this is in keeping with the marketplace of ideas approach twitter appears to have adopted twitter's public policy director nick pickles said quote one of the differences in our approach here is that we're not waiting for a third party to have made a cast iron decision one way or another We're reflecting the debate rather than stating the outcome of a deliberation, end quote. This may be both a quicker and more permissive approach than other content moderation being mulled elsewhere. That more directive content moderation may be seen in the decisions by YouTube, Vimeo, and Facebook to remove a trailer for a full-length film, Plandemic, that pushes an anti-vaccine conspiracy theory about the origins of and response to the COVID-19 pandemic. The Washington Post reports that these platforms have decided the trailer, which at 26 minutes running time itself amounts to a short film, pushes misinformation likely to prove dangerous to those who follow its advice. YouTube says that its policy is to take down content that includes medically unsubstantiated diagnostic advice for COVID-19, like the pandemic trailer. Facebook's rationale was more specific. Suggesting that wearing a mask can make you sick could lead to imminent harm, so we're removing the video. Vimeo said it was keeping our platform safe from content that spreads harmful and misleading health information. The video in question has been removed by our trust and safety team for violating these very policies. Plandemic features fringe scientist Dr. Judy Mitkovitz, who the Washington Post says has been associated with discredited research before, among the film's claims is the assertion that the wealthy have deliberately worked to drive up infection rates in order to increase vaccination rates. Before it was taken down from Facebook at the end of last week, the Pandemic trailer had, Digital Trends reports, attracted 1.8 million views, including 17,000 comments and nearly 150,000 shares. And as usual, the hooey gets a head start on the straight dope. Or so the government hoods would have us believe. Just kidding. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. And joining me once again is Ben Yellen. He's from the University of Maryland Center for Health and Homeland Security. Ben, always great to have you back. Um, Interesting uh, case you wanted to bring to our attention. Uh, This has to do with uh, automatic license plate readers, a topic we have touched on here before. What's the latest? Very interesting case that came out of the Ninth Circuit over
2: on uh, the West Coast, dealing with an automatic license plate reading system. So there was an individual who was seen committing a crime in a GMC Yukon. Investigators, uh, law enforcement could not see uh, the individual committing the crime. They just were able to get the make and model of the vehicle and uh, traced it back through the license plate to a rental car company. Rental car company told the officers that this Yukon had been rented to an individual named Yang, but that individual had not returned the car on time. Hmm. Uh, So the question in this case is whether this individual had a reasonable expectation of privacy in this vehicle, given that he had violated the rental agreement and not returned the vehicle on time. Therefore, he did not have a valid property interest in that vehicle. Hmm. Um, The rental company tried to locate the vehicle using its uh company-owned gps system mr yang uh had disabled that system um (laughs) so after that had happened the investigators put the license plate into this automate automated license plate reading system it was picked up they ended up arresting yang and charging him with this crime Uh, so mr yang tried to suppress the search by saying that Even though the rental agreement had expired and even though he was supposed to have turned in the rental car prior to when this crime had been committed, he still retained, he still had a reasonable expectation of privacy in that vehicle. And there has been some case law saying that just because a lease has expired, that does not automatically eliminate the lessee's privacy interests in that property.
1: Uh, and that's certainly. Well, be- help me understand here. But before we move on, sure. I mean, if they, if I rent a car, and uh, in the course of me driving that car, I do something that that catches the eye of law enforcement, are are they typically allowed to go to the rental agency and say who rented this car?
2: Uh so they they would need a warrant to do that because okay. you as a lessee have a uh expectation of privacy in that vehicle. I mean I you you've been granted a temporary it's a license but it's a temporary property interest in that hmm. vehicle. So, you know, for that period during the rental agreement, law enforcement would have to seek a warrant. Here they did not. They just went to the rental car company and were like, uh hey, can you guys help us out? And they, without obtaining a warrant, uh, put this license plate into this automated uh, license plate reading system and, and got a hit. Um, but they did so without getting judicial approval uh, to conduct this search. So the past case law basically says you eventually lose your Fourth Amendment rights and rented property after the rental period has ended. Eventually is obviously very, you know a very vague term. We don't know if that's a few days, one week, several weeks, But just because that that rental agreement has expired doesn't mean that your property interests have automatically been diminished. What the court is saying here is Mr. Yang did not have a reasonable expectation of privacy in the vehicle for a number of reasons. The first reason is there's no evidence that this rental car company had any policy or practice of allowing lessees to keep cars beyond the rental period. And the rental car company had made a bunch of attempts to repossess the vehicle. They tried to activate the GPS. So they were trying to assert their own property interests. So that's one element of the decision. Hmm. Mr. Yang also argued that because of the Supreme Court decision, United States v. Carpenter, um, a person has a privacy interest in the whole of his or her movements across locations. I know we've talked about that case a lot on uh, this podcast and our caveat podcast. The gist of the case is in order to obtain historical location information, the government has to have a warrant. And that's sort of what Mr. Yang was uh, arguing here. So what the court here is saying as, uh, as it relates to that Carpenter question is this search had not revealed the whole of Mr. Yang's physical movements. It was not tracking him from location to location. It just picked up his license plate on one particular instance. So Carpenter is not implied uh, in this case. And because the rental uh, agreement had expired, he no longer had a reasonable expectation in that piece of property. So the conviction for now is upheld. uh, Although You never know. It is possible that this case could make it up to the Supreme Court and we get more clarity on when a person uh, loses their reasonable expectation of privacy as it relates to automatic uh, license plate readers uh, on rented vehicles.
1: Hmm. All right. That's an interesting one for sure. Ben Yellen, thanks for joining us. Thank you.